Welcome to On The Fly College Edition, a podcast presented by Playfly Sports. I'm your host, Gene DiFilippo. Playfly Sports is the full-service marketing and media company bringing digitally enabled innovations to the sports industry. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Gene DiFilippo. I'm your host. And our guest today is the former coach of the Villanova Wildcats, Jay Wright. All Jay did at Villanova was win 72% of his games. He won 30 games six times. His last 10 years there, he averaged 28 wins. He went to 16 NCAA tournaments, eight Sweet 16s, five, two, uh, sorry, four Final Fours, and two NCAA championships. That's a career that very, very, very few people in this world have a chance to have. Welcome to the podcast, Jay Wright. Good to be with you, buddy. I miss you, man. It's good to do this with you. Well, I'm so glad that uh, that you could make time to do this. Now, tell everybody where you are right now. <laughs> <laughs> we we need to do that. Anybody that's that's watching this, they can they can see uh, the, the crazy lights. I'm in the recruiting lounge which is what we use after our games for the recruits to wait in here next to our locker room because um, Kyle Neptune's in my office. It's, it's his show now. So when I'm, when I'm here uh, talking to the guys, this is where I could go for some peace and quiet. Jay, I thought it was a terrific honor that the students at Villanova lobbied to have you um, as their graduation speaker. I thought that was a tremendous honor. I listened to it, and you did you did a wonderful job. But Jay, tell us what it's like being a coach at Villanova, where you're under the spotlight all the time with the highs and lows. It just takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? It does. It's it's very reward very rewarding, and and um, you know as you said, Gene that you used the perfect word and an honor is what it was to speak at, at graduation that Villanova is such a unique place. And there's so many great universities and, and academic experiences in this country. Just Villanova is just such a unique one in that the students are so tied to the basketball program when they're here. And when they leave as alumni, they're, 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 they stay connected um, you know, if you're at an Alabama, you know, you might do that through football. If you, if you do it, if you're at Villanova, they do it through basketball. And you know it better than anybody. You are a big part of building this basketball program and, and all the programs here at Villanova. It just means so much to everybody. So for the students to, to request for me to be the speaker meant a lot to me. And to your question, it, it's the coach of Villanova basketball is, is bigger than just the sport. It's, it's someone that kind of represents the university with the, with the president, you know, the it's, it's an Augustinian university. So the, the Augustinian priest, that's a president, father, Peter Donahue, that person and the basketball coach kind of exemplifies Villanova to everybody. You know, we, we like to say that, um, they Villanovans like to do three things. They like to go to mass together. They like to go to basketball games together and they like to drink together, but <laughs> not, 
necessarily in that order either all the time. And, but, but if you think about it, you know, it's it, going to mass together, you know, that's the president of the university He's a priest and, and going to basketball games, that's the basketball coach. So no matter where you are, you know, if you're out to dinner with your family, if you're, if, if it's in the off season, like when Villanova people see you, that's their connection to the university. That's, that's everything that the university means to them. And they get very excited about seeing you and they, and they, they want to be with you. And you have to realize that as the head coach, that, that that's kind of your responsibility. You can't be the head coach at Villanova. And just because you're out at dinner with your family, just say, Hey, I, I don't have time for you because it means the world to these people. And it's what makes playing here, coaching here and going to school here. So great that the place means so much to everybody. Yeah, no question. Jay, one thing your teams always did was they always played hard and they always played team basketball. You had, you've had some of the, the best recruits in the country come where they were all everything in high school. How do you get teams to do what you, what you got Villanova's teams to do? Gina, our, our recruiting was really more um, identifying and educating. So we would identify the most talented people. And, you know, you and I have talked about this. It's similar to the business world. You know, you, you want to get the best people. You're competing against the best. You know, you know your competitors are getting the most talented people. So we tried to identify the most talented people. And then once we would identify them, then we had to engage with them. And while everybody else was kind of recruiting them and selling them, we were trying to educate them to what Villanova basketball was all about. And it's it's funny, you, you hit on the two main words. We have a triangle um, that's probably on this wall behind, around me. Uh, and, and at the bottom of the triangle, the largest part of the triangle is play hard. And the next step up in that triangle is play together. And they're the two most ingredients, two most important ingredients that you're going to give your best effort every day here and that you're going to think about others, the guys that you play with. And we we try to explain that to these most talented players. And then we allow them to choose, do they want to be a part of this? So a lot of times we would recruit guys and we'd explain this to them and they would go to another school and they would show them all the bells and whistles and sell them. And that player would come out and say, hey, I like, you know, I like UCLA better, you know, and, and a lot of times it came down to, I didn't like what I heard at Villanova. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And that was a good thing for us because if, if we identified the right guys, when those guys would go see the bells and whistles, you know, at let's say a Texas or something. And then, and then they would decide, all right, I saw all this and it's very impressive at Texas, but I hear what they're talking about at Villanova. I know what that experience is going to be like. I want to be a part of it. If we got the right guys to choose that, rather than us sell them, they chose us. Then we had guys that we could work with, that we could build with, that we could teach and that they would be open to being coached. And I think that's where our assistants did a, did a great job in recruiting. You know, I think the other thing that you did as well as anybody is your team, you got your team to control their emotions. And, you know, basketball's a, 
can be a physical game. It's a very competitive game. But I remember when Villanova sank a last second shot to beat North Carolina. Um, you right away stayed, kept your emotions. You walked down and, and, and talked to Roy Williams. And I, I thought that was just one of the greatest times that I'd seen anybody control their emotions. Your team did that too. How do you teach that? That's not just ingrained in kids. Yes, you, you teach them that. Yeah, it is. It's important to us, Gene. And it's it's funny. I can say these things now that I'm not coaching the team now, so I don't get held to it. But I'm a, I'm a really emotional guy, really emotional. And I, I get more emotional than probably anyone would think. But it's it's it, hopefully at the right times in the locker room, a lot of times in practice. Um, you know, I've, I've gotten credit for remaining calm on the sidelines a lot, but in the huddle, sometimes I'm not that calm. And if guys, <laughs> and when they ask our players in the locker room at halftime, I'm not that calm. I'm, I'm very emotional, but we really emphasized a lot. And we spent a lot of time and in practice and in team meetings discussing the psychological part of the game. And we uh, we all wear. I got them right here. Uh, we wear these these wristbands, these attitude wristbands, and it's it's the it's the premise of our entire program that you can't control the things that happen to you in life, and you can't control really a lot of things that happen to you on the basketball court or on the football field or in the business world. But what you do control is your effort, and you control your response, your attitude each day and your attitude on each play. So we would actually practice. If you're on the first team, the referees in practice would any close call was definitely going against you. And then we would practice how you responded to that. It, everything we did was competitive. Everything we did, we kept score. So if the blue team was the first team and they were playing against the white team and the blue team got a bad call and someone reacted the wrong way, it was two points for the white team. We call those attitude points. And we we practice that every single day. And we practice situations and games that happen to you um, where you don't get the right call. What is your response? And we taught them your response has got to be clap your hands, look your teammate in the eye, and say attitude. And that is your way of telling your teammate, hey, I made a bad play. We got a tough call. I'm telling you, my head is clear going into the next play. You make sure your head's clear. And that was our way of doing that. And in that North Carolina game, which is interesting you bring up, is one of my favorite attitude moments of all time because we had a 10-point lead in that game. And we blew a 10-point lead. So we were about to be like the biggest bust in NCAA history <laughs> because we, we were up 10. We, we were up 10, and now – it's it's a it's a it's a um, five point game. No, excuse me, it's a three point game. We we've given up seven straight points now. It's a three point game, and the only thing we had to do defensively was not give up a three. And everyone in basketball knows that. Just give them a two, foul them. Just don't give up a three. And Page for Carolina hit a double clutch three to tie the game, which is a major, major mistake for a defensive team. And our guys all were coming off the court. We called timeout with 4.7 seconds to go. 
and every guy on the team, the guys on the bench, were coming off the bench. The guys on the floor were coming off the floor to meet, and they were all saying, attitude, attitude. And that's our way of saying to each other, okay, we screwed up. We gave up a 10-point lead. We screwed up. We gave up a three. The only thing we control right now is what is our mindset going into these next 4.7 seconds? And our mindset's got to be clear, and it's got to be focused on the next play and not affected by the mistakes we made previously. And we went out and executed a play perfectly. Chris Jenkins hit a shot. And I wasn't so happy that he made the shot, but I was happy that in that moment in front of millions of people on TV, 70,000 in the stands, they were dialed in enough to know this is where attitude counts. The only thing we control is our attitude going forward and our effort. And it worked out great. And I, I knew whether the shot went in or not, was that was God's will. But our clear mind to execute was our attitude. Wow. It's amazing. I hope that all of the athletic directors and coaches and everybody out there that's listening to this podcast will use this because the same principles that you used to bring Villanova to the top are the same, same things that business people need to bring their programs to the top. Jay, we got to talk about Coach Mass. Uh, you, you coached with him and under him, uh, and you really, really loved him, and he loved you like a son. Tell, tell people uh, about Coach Mass and your time as an assistant at Villanova under him. Coach Massimino, he loved Eugene, and I'd like to say it was because you were one of the best athletic directors of all time, and you're a good, loyal guy, but it was really only because you were Italian. That was it. <laughs> That's all that. it took. That's all it took for him. If, 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 you were, if you were Italian and proud to be Italian, he loved you. Now, if you were Italian and he thought you weren't proud to be Italian, now you were in trouble. That, <laughs> that, that would upset him. One of the great Coach Massimino stories is I, I have since learned that I'm, I'm of Irish and, and German descent, and I, I have I've since learned I have some Spanish in me, but I didn't know that until I did this, you know, this research. But he after he hired me, um, we would go out to dinner with all of his staff and the whole staff was Italian. And he would go into the restaurant, and say to the chef, it's my staff. Everybody's Italian. This went on for about a month. And finally, we were at a restaurant. I was sitting next to him at the table. And I said, I said, Coach, you, you know I'm not Italian, right? He said, what? You're not Italian? I said, no. He said, I would have never hired you if you weren't, if I didn't, if I thought you weren't Italian. I said, well, you never asked me if I was Italian. He goes, look at you. Good looking, dark. You got to be Italian. You're Italian. I said, I'm not. So he said, don't ever tell anybody you're not Italian. I was I worked for him for uh, seven years as an assistant, and then stayed. You know, he stayed as my mentor his whole life, and I was able uh, and honored to do his eulogy at his at his funeral. And I said, I, I said at his funeral, I can finally admit I'm not Italian because I was never allowed to admit that ever <laughs> until this day because Coach told me never to do that. <laughs> hey, he was a great coach. I mean, you just, you had to learn so much from him. Unbelievable. He was a mastermind X and O coach. He was so prepared. And as great as he was basketball-wise, what what I probably, and I took 
everything we did defense, every, all of our defensive concepts are multiple defenses all from him. But the way he taught me and all of us to incorporate your family into your team and your team into your family. Now, it was a little tough work for him because if anybody in his family had a wedding or a christening or anything or a funeral, we all had to go. <laughs> but if it, was in, if it was in our own families and we had practice or something, we couldn't go. But, <laughs> but it was... His his children and to this day I'm I'm close with all of his children, and his family was in, in close with our whole team, and he made us and he treated us all like family, and 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 I tried to do the same thing always, and I I feel like I have two sons and a daughter and and they're you know in my eyes and my wife Patty's eyes very successful, and I really think it's because they grew up around our teams and our kids and our players. And they were a part of the team and, and the team was a part of our family. And he taught, he taught us all that. And as great as he was X and O wise, he was the most prepared guy ever for a game. I took all that, but incorporating your family into your team was the most important thing he taught me. Jay, in your graduation speech, um, you talked about uh, being a freshman and being on the team <laughs> And you came back to play a game at Philly and tell, tell uh, everyone that story. Cause that's a great one. I tell this story so much. My wife, when I go to speak, my wife tells me, don't tell that story again. I'm tired. of hearing that story. <laughs> But it was, it was awesome. We, we, we share this with, with, with people to talk about, you know, when you're young and you're a freshman, you're going to hit some divert, some adversity and, and look where you are now this is going to happen to you the rest of your life. But, you know, I was a star in high school, like everybody. And I went to Bucknell and my, my boys back here in Philly, they didn't, they didn't go to college and they thought, you know, like I was the greatest player ever. So as a freshman, we came back to play LaSalle at the Palestra in Philly and they all came to the game and um, they expected me to be the star, you know, and they were chanting for me at the game. We want right. We want right now. I had played like two minutes a game up until that point. Some games not played. And as we got deeper into the game, the second half, they, they were getting louder and, and they were chanting, we want right, we want right. And my coach was kind of looking at them, looking at me, and we're playing LaSalle, who was really good back then. They had Michael Brooks, the National Player of the Year, and it's about three minutes ago in the game and we're down 12 and they're chanting really loud, we want right. And my coach looks up to him and he comes down to the end of the bench and he says to me, right. And I stand up and I rip off my warm-up. He said, go up in the stands and see what they want. <laughs> it was a very embarrassing moment, obviously. And uh, something that, you know, we, we share with young people to say, like, look, those things probably happened to you. And, and look look where you are now. Look how successful you are. It's, it's going to continue to happen to you in life. There's going to be times when you feel like I'm a complete failure. And you just got to know you're going to overcome that. Like, look at that as an opportunity, you know, and I talked to him about the opportunity of how to handle that situation. Oh, that was a great story. <laughs> hey, Jay, um, what advice would you give to young coaches and young administrators on the way up? Um, well, what advice would you give? Gene, you and I know, like, the, these are – I, I know we've all had challenging times. You know, you you had 
in, in your in your career and, and and I did coming up, you know, when when uh, you know Title IX came in and 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 the changing of the Big East and all those things were challenges. But right now, the combination of NIL with the transfer portal is as challenging, I think, as anybody is, is has ever seen in college athletics. Right. Even with all of that, I still say, I still say stick stick to your core values like understand why you're in this business and it's different for everybody you know it, it's why are you a coach why are you an athletic director what what is your purpose and, and i think for most of us it's it's to educate young people become a part of their lives represent an institution that we believe in and help those young people become the best students, the best men and women, and, and the best athletes that they can be. Stick to those core values. And when you have to make difficult decisions, go back to those core values. What, what am I in this for? And how does this decision I'm going to make impact these student athletes being the best people, the best students, and the best athletes they can be? It's not going to be easy. And when you have those times that you get to share with a student athlete, a championship or a 4.0 or making Dean's list or overcoming the death of a parent, when you get to share those opportunities, cherish that because that's what you got in it for. And don't, don't take that for granted. Don't pass it by. Stick to your core values. And when you're too tired to fight for those core values, then get out of it. It's somebody else's turn. Don't hang in there and complain about it. Stick to your core values, believe in them, and, and do them at, to the best of your ability with a great attitude. That's awesome information. Those of you out there, listen to that again, again, and again, because that's right on. Jay, you talked about this being as challenging a time in college athletics. And certainly in my 40 some years, this is absolutely the most challenging time that I can think of for coaches and athletic directors. What is your, what's your take on the transfer rule? What's your take on NIL? What do you, what do you think about them? Well, I think right now it's a, it's a very confusing time. And, and I think we, we, we need some leadership and we need some guidance in, in, in the, in the long term. We need, either the NCAA to come get presidents together and come up with some type of guidelines, ground rules, structure, um, or we need the federal government to get involved. So that that's something that um, we, we could talk about forever. And that, that's, that's big picture. But in the meantime, we, we have, I think, two or three years here until – somebody steps up and we, we, we have some great leadership or, 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 or maybe someone outside the NCAA comes up with a new structure of, of, of guidance and governance, which I think would be good also, but it's going to take time to do that. And in the meantime, this combination of NIL and the transfer portal is is a really dangerous combination. I don't think, and this is where I, I wish we would have had better leadership. I don't think anyone 
looked at this, it's it's not one or the other. It's, it's the combination of these two is, is really, really dangerous because it is definitely creating a pay-for-play scenario, whether anybody wants to admit it or not. That combination is creating it because we're all very competitive. And if you play one year and you're not happy with what where you are, and someone has the ability to offer you more money to come elsewhere, well, that's that's pay for play. And that's the situation that we find ourselves in. We can't complain about it. We just got to say that's what it is for the next two or three years. And so I think we we got to look at it like, how are we going to survive these next two or three years? I think administrators should be smart about evaluating their coaches and their athletic directors during this time frame because um, – some schools are set up well for this NIL transfer portal. Some schools in their culture is not. Uh, at Villanova, for instance, we're trying to find a way. How do we compete in this NIL world? How do we maintain our culture that we've spent what far before I was here? And, and Gene, you were here before me, and you put this into this culture you put into place. How do we maintain it? And then also understand the rights of the students that they can leave and go elsewhere at any time. Um, I do think a positive is, I do think that in basketball, and it doesn't affect football as much because football players have to stay longer in college. In basketball, I think it's going to actually help the quality of play in college basketball. And I think it's going to help the quality of play in the NBA because I think guys are going to stay in school longer because they can make money right in the, in the past a lot of those guys that left early after one and done they really didn't want to but financially it was their only option whereas now you can make money in college basketball and you can get an education and not have to leave for the nba before you're ready and the students that don't want to be in college that want to get out after one year and just try the NBA and professional sports, they can still go to the G League. So I think for the quality of play in college basketball, the G League and the NBA, I think it's going to be actually beneficial. Now we've just got to figure out, do we go with a model of this is semi-professional sports where these players are employees and they play for the university? Or can we figure out a model where we still – connect education and athletics, which I would like us to see. We set up a, a scenario where it's similar to, you know, a, a business student that goes to school and bartends at night. You go to school, you get, you get your education, you play sports, you get paid for your NIL and your appearances. So you still can make money, basically a part-time job while you're getting your education and you're playing university, you're playing for your university and the key, which I think makes college athletics so um, attractive to our country is these guys are students that are in class with the students that are in the fans in the stands. And they are students who are in the same classes that the alumni who are supporting them, they were in those classes too. There's a shared experience that we all have that makes college athletics so beautiful and I think if some governing body can come up a way to say, 
You go to school, you can make money, and you play for your school. That's what college athletics is now. It's semi-professional sports, which is fine. And we're getting our education, and we're a part of the camp, the educational community at the same time. They don't do it anywhere else in the world. I'd love to see us be able to keep that together. Oh, and that's well said. That is well said. Jay, uh, I'm going on another track. Um, coaching is really, really a difficult profession in that you're always under pressure, whether it's recruiting season or it's preseason or it's during the season. What do you do to relax? Do you play golf? Now, I, you tell me that you're you uh, you like to be in a kayak uh, out in the ocean. Is, is that true? You know what? It is. It is, Gene. I, I love golf. I stink. Um, I, I, what I do is kayak surfing. It's, it's, it's crazy. You see, there are these flat kayaks you sit in, but you ride the waves. So I love that. But the, the key, and, and this is part of the reason that, that I decided to stop coaching. I, I shouldn't say retire because I'm still going to work for the university with our president, Father Peter. I'm still going to try to be supportive. And there's other things down the road for you, too. You can do whatever you want to do. I got I got some energy, but I, I have to learn. I didn't do a good job of relaxing. Like, even if I was on the golf course, I had my phone. I was always, you know, you said it, you know it, you were in it. I, it was 24-7 to me. It was, and I never really did relax. Even if I would get out, getting out in the ocean in the kayak, was something that could get me out of it. I, but I just didn't do it enough. I, you know, I would do it like five days, six days a year. I, I wasn't good at that. And um, and and I, I I realized that, you know, towards the last three or four years where I I said, you know, I, I gotta learn to do this better or I'm gonna or I'm I'm gonna get tired of this. And I I just wasn't good at it. I just, you know, I was at the Olympics with coaching the Olympic team and I was getting up in the middle of the night making calls back recruiting I couldn't I I couldn't stop I enjoyed every second of it but um I'm I think with this time right now I'm learning how to relax a little bit and whatever we do down the road I I hope I can take that that ability to relax so you said like what would you say to coaches and administrators the guy that you worked for the guy that you had here as your football coach at Villanova Andy Talley had a great analogy that coaching is like trying to to fill in a black hole with dirt. You just keep <laughs> shoveling and shoveling, but you never fill it in. You never fill it in. You got to take a rest sometimes, you know. And I just I wasn't good at that. I would still say, there's, you got to force yourself to to rest sometime because you're there's always going to be work to be done in in coaching and and in being an administrator. That is true. Hey, let's talk about uh, Coach Popovich uh, for a little bit. I know that. You and Pop got along great. Um, he may be the best professional coach there ever was, uh, certainly among the, the top. What's it like being with Pop for so long? He was amazing. I, I, I learned so much from him, you know, and at, at a point in, in, in my career where, you know, I was towards the end of my career and you think you know a lot, um, but I was still, there was so much there to learn with him. Um, he had an incredible combination of characteristics. So he had that military background being in the Air Force, 
where his preparation was like like putting together troops for battle. You know, before we, we started with the World Cup and we started meeting as a staff down in San Antonio and he had everything, every possible scenario planned out to, we were going to, to China to giving us handouts on Chinese basketball terms and Chinese terminology to use, you know, when, when ordering food and he's prepared for everything. So you, ha you have this, this military mind of preparation and intelligence. And on the other side of him, you had the softest soul you could ever imagine. Like you, you go out to, to dinner with him and the players and he, you know, and he wants you to teach you about the food and teach you about the wine and, he wants to know about your heritage and your family and your mom and dad. And he wants to drink with you and laugh with you and cry with you. So you've got this, this emotional, sensitive soul with this military preparation and, and competitiveness. And um, he, his players loved him. And he was one of the, I learned so much, but one of the things that struck me was, with the Spurs, he's the president and head coach. So he knows how to handle those players and that he has the final say in their careers. With the Olympic team, these were all guys from other teams, you know, Kevin Durant, Dame Lillard, um, you know, Chris Middleton, all these guys are NBA all-stars and they weren't his guys, you know, Draymond Green and, and, he treated them a lot differently than he would have coached his San Antonio team. So to have the intelligence and the humility to, to really be inclusive with them and, and let Kevin Durant and Draymond green and, and those guys have a lot more say in what we did was really impressive to watch. Um, Jay, you often preach that um, it's not just winning. Uh, a game or winning a national championship, but it's being consistent to your core values and to what you believe in as a coach and a team. Can you, can you explain that a little bit to our people? Yeah, that that's something that, that, um, you know, now that I'm stopping coach, I'm trying to evaluate even more and how it affects business in that. Um, and I've talked to businesses about this. We never, we never evaluated ourselves on the results of our season or our games or the score. We always evaluated ourselves by our core values. And, um, and, and it's, it's, it's one of the things that, um, you know, I, I, I wonder how much in today's business world, this could be useful in that as a leader, our real, opportunity is to create an environment and how we're all going to live together. And, and, and within living, you're talking about how are we going to compete and how are we going to win and how are we going to lose? Like as the leader, you have, you have a, an ability to define all that. And that's kind of what we always try to do here at Villanova was um, we have our core values. Like every time we step on the, on the court to compete against somebody, we want to, Try to play harder, play more together, not just say play hard or together. We want to play harder than our opponent. 
And we want to play more together than our opponent. And we want to be smarter than our opponent, game situations and based on our scouting report. And then we want to take more pride in playing for Villanova than they do playing for their university. So throughout our, we never said, we don't start the season, say we want to win a championship or, and even in our practice facility, there's in our court, there's no national championship banner. There's no NBA jerseys. There's no big East championships. It just play hard, play together, play smart, play with pride. And that's how we want to evaluate ourselves. So at the end of each game, we would, we would, you know, you want to win the game. If we, if we won, we'd be up, we'd be happy. If we lost, we'd be upset. But then we, we'd stop the next morning. And before we moved on to any film or practice, we would say, okay, let's evaluate ourselves. Did we play harder than our opponent last night? And we had ways to, to evaluate that. Did, were we more together? Were we smarter? Even though maybe we won the score, but did they play with more pride in representing their program than we did? And if and if we found that we didn't do those things, then that we didn't really count that as a win for us. We and we and we went to work that day in practice to improve in those areas, not because we won or lost the game. And same thing at the end of a season. You know, I'll, I'll never forget um, in two thousand. Uh, 15, we had a team that won the most games of any team in Villanova history in a regular season. We were number one seed in the tournament. And then we lost in the second round to NC State, who was a great team. They just happened to be an eight seed that that was really undervalued in, in, in the uh, seedings. But they were a great team. And we lost a close game. And right to the bitter end in our in our huddle, it was like a one or two point game. We're in the second round. We're about to get upset. And our guys are saying, like, keep playing Villanova basketball. Keep playing Villanova basketball to the end. And we lost that game. And, and we got criticized. And everyone said that they were a bust. They lost in the second round. They can't get past the second round. And we looked at our team. We said, look, throughout the season, we won, I think it was like 35 games, whatever it was. No team has ever won that many games in Villanova history. We brought it every day. Every day we played hard together, smart with pride, better than any other team. In that last game against NC State, did we play harder than them? Did we try to play harder? Yeah. Did we play? Were we together? Did we try? Yeah. Did we take pride? Yeah. Right to the bitter end, did we take pride in playing Villanova basketball? Yeah. All right, so we lost. We're a success in our minds. Everybody else is going to say we're a failure. But in our minds, that's what we control. We're a success. Because we were committed to our core values. And that team, that Villanova team in 2015, in this program, is we make sure that's one of the most respected teams of all time. The next year, we won the national championship. But it was really because we felt good about what we did in 15. And everyone else was criticizing what we did in 15. Wow. Jay, this has been unbelievable. I mean, I, I knew you'd be amazing. But um, the way you've been able to take this and apply it to business and to other people, this is great. We're out of time on this week's On The Fly College Edition. I'm your host, Gene Filippo. Thanks for your time this time, and we'll see you next time.